Welcome to Network, a production of Evangelism Ministries of the Georgia Baptist Convention. Today, Joel Sutherland and the GBC Evangelism team continue their interview with Melanie Smolin of Faith Perceptions about the total Sunday morning experience. Here's part two of the interview on Network. You know, I hate to use a cliche, but you only get one chance to make a good first impression. I mean, this is really it. That's really, really uh, begging us to be intentional about it. Randy, what were Absolutely, you going to say? Because a greeter is the first person that you see. Mm-hmm. And, and something else that we see a lot of churches do is they won't have somebody right there at the door. They'll have somebody in front of the sanctuary um, or the worship center, but not, not, at, not at the door when people come in. So what happens is somebody comes in and they kind of meander their way through to find the service, and then they go in and they're greeted by somebody. But that time between the first time they enter into the church to the time that they get into the worship service. I mean, a lot can happen in that. And if nobody talks to them and nobody greets them or welcomes them, then they're kind of just left to themselves to kind of find their way around. So we always tell churches, you know, if you don't have um, um, enough volunteers to greet people when they come in and have them at the, at the worship center and at the greeting or and at the entrance, then, then take your greeters and have them always at the entrance. If you have to well, have only, if you only have one one place where you can put them, put them at the entrance of the church where people walk in. Very good. So when a guest arrives, uh, the greeter has the ball. But now let's, let's take them into the worship service, uh, the pre-service atmosphere, uh, getting them from the door, leading them in there. Um, when you talk about pre-service pre-service atmosphere, what do you have in mind? Well, the, um, the the space that they can congregate and visit, um, yeah, learn more about the church, the welcome center. You know, if there's music playing, if people are interacting with them, uh, you know, so anything that happens prior to the service, what's the atmosphere like? You know, it could be the lobby area, it could be a coffee, uh, you know, a coffee area. Um, there could be a library, an internet cafe. So. So any one of those things, what is that atmosphere like? Is it warm? Is it welcoming? And then the other thing that this question really looks at and asks is, did anybody outside of the designated greeters interact with you? Mm. Did they talk with you? Did you get to know anybody? Mm. Did you have any meaningful interaction? Two words are coming to my mind right now. One is intentional. Uh, It sounds like we need to be very intentional in this. But the other phrase that comes to my mind is is, uh, creating a culture, uh, helping not just these designated greeters and ushers, letting them be the the first string, but but also the church family, making sure they know to be warm and welcoming uh, uh, to a guest. Would that be correct? And I'm just so glad you said that. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth, because that is a huge problem that we see in churches. That they uh, the congregation comes and they are very dependent on clergy and volunteers to talk to people that are new in the church and they talk to people they know. So uh, yes. that's that's absolutely huge that you pointed that out. Um, and it's very important for the church to understand that you may be not you may not be serving on a first impressions or hospitality team. You may not be a designated greeter or somebody who believes that they're you know quote unquote gifted with hospitality. But it's everybody's responsibility to be kind. It's everybody's responsibility to be warm and welcoming. And when we talk with churches, um, we really try to ask them to instill that culture, because a lot of times it's not the the problem of of maybe the clergy or the the hospitality team. It's the problem of of the people that go there every Sunday. They, They just don't see people new to the church as part of their mission field. Wow. And so what you're saying is we have to remind Christians to act like Christians. 
you know, <laughs> if you're going, you know, being kind, welcoming, all those have Bible verses we can attach to them. I mean, that's not rocket mm-hmm. science. That's not seminary level education. We're talking right. about turn around and talk to the new person sitting beside you who needs to hear the gospel. But wouldn't it be great in the culture if we could create such a culture of that that we have people fighting to be greeters? Yes. You know, I mean, I know I'm dreaming right. here, but uh, I mean, you were talking. We're in here high fiving, you know, in the studio. <laughs> I'm even high fiving Randy on the phone. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. we're like, we know, we see it, you know, we want to see that culture that is just spilling out, you know, that. People are so nice. There's a, there's a church in our area here, and, you know, Joel moved into this area two years ago. I moved in last fall, and we went through the same process like everyone does that moves in the area. We have to go find a new church and, and plug in. There was one church both of us named that we were extraordinarily – I mean, they practically picked us up. You know, it was like, put me down, you know, enough with the shoulder rubs already. I mean, it was like every, the Sunday school class, every class we visited, everybody at the door – there was really a culture of that. When you see it, you know it. And it and it if you're if you're in this world of trying to equip churches to do this or pastoring and leading a church in this, we we're like, oh man, that's what we need to create that. I know that takes time, but what you're saying is so well noted. We notice it when it's not there, and uh, we desperately see the need for it because we know the impact it can make. Uh, if oh, a person walks into that environment and at every turn they're being loved on, blessed, greeted. And, you know, and people are genuinely, get this, genuinely inquisitive about the visitor. You know, welcome. Who are you? Where are you from? We're so glad you're here. Do you have family? Do you have kids? We want to help get you to the kids' department where you need to go? Is there any way we can help you? Not just hi and shake a hand, but, you know, visibly interested in the visitor. That's, a, that's something that's got to be baked into the DNA of the church over time. It's a challenge. Melly, I'm going to move us on for a little. I could spend all day there, but the next word you have on this paper, I, I I I cannot be more excited to get to this word because I feel like you're going to teach me something I do not know. And here's this word seating. Where guests sit. Yes. Now, now here here's the question I have. I don't. I've been in this thing for decades. I do not know where does a guest want to sit. Where should they sit? Well, guests want to sit where the church always wants to sit, the back of the room. Really? <laughs> so awesome. when, people, when people come to visit a church for the first time, a lot of times they note on our reports that the, that the first four to five, you know, pews or rows or seats are empty. And... Uh, and and but the back of the church is is filled and and guests don't want to walk in and walk past everybody and have to sit at the front of the church and know that everybody behind them might be looking at them. So they so want to you... check you out. They want to be able to come in and take a seat and if they want to be discreet they can and if they want to you know sit with people they can. So a lot of times they like end seats where they don't have to climb over people and and sit in the middle. So um guests want to sit sit towards you know towards the back of the church but but that's where the church always wants to sit as well so that's so, that's something we've learned in our reports over the years so do you recommend actually blocking off rear seats or in capping reser- reser- not reserved areas but in the mind of the church that leave some ends open leave some rear seats open do you go that far i, I wouldn't go as far as blocking off seats for for guests though though there are some churches that do that I, I, i'm not i'm not i'm not really for 
I guess, or, or against that. But just think in the mind of a visitor, if, if, you, if you're new um, and, and you come to a church, you know, you, you want to be able to, to, to naturally be able to take a seat on the end or where you're most comfortable. So if, if, if you're not blocking it off, but you're asking people, and again, creating and baking into the culture the mindset that, hey, let's be hospitable to people that are new. Don't sit on the end. Try to sit more towards the middle. Leave, you know, the end seats open and available to people that are new in the church. You know, that's really what, what we want to create. And also, you know, when we're looking at this, um, we're looking at every size church. So, you know, sometimes our visitors are going into, you know, churches that at one time were very large, but now we're very small. And so um, it could be a church that holds 400, but you've only got 80 people coming on Sunday. So when they all sit on one side or they oh. all congregate to a certain area, a guest is looking at that and saying, is it spread out? Does it feel like this church is full? Does it feel like this church is empty? Oh, um, so guests look, aren't just looking at, you know, how comfortable is it, how easy it is to find a seat. How full does it feel? How lively does it feel? Or how empty does it feel? Wow. So y- Okay, Melanie, my mind's turning here. Are you saying that a church seats 400, now it runs 80, whatever happened, should they rope off sections of the sanctuary and force people to force the sanctuary to seem smaller? Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah, we do recommend that. We, um, you know, whether it's roping off or it's dropping down, um, you know, dropping down costs, that kind of section off the church, or it's meeting in another part of the church that's smaller. Okay, so let's start you know, a yeah, fight. You know, a let's, times- let's start a fight. Let's face it, you got some, you got some established <laughs> members that are going to go, you're going to rope off my seat that I've been sitting in for 30 years, and my name is all but etched <laughs> on the back of it. So, I mean, these are bold. Yeah. I mean, you're, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm just saying politically inside the institution, I'm sure that you do have some pastors that look at you and say, great idea, <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, so you just answered the question why the church used to have 400, now it's down to 80. There you go. <laughs> Thank there you. you go. Yes. Wow. Wow. Well, that's, that's good. <laughs> something something else I, I would say about that is is the pastor also we've seen and and and, and guess noted is is if people sit towards the back or they sit during you know maybe the first four or five pews are, are empty or they sit in a in a section of the church um, you know not really spread out the pastor comes to them he comes down off of you know the pulpit and he walks down and he kind of preaches closer to them or teaches closer to mm. where they are that's that's one of the ways that that you can you can mitigate it as well. You know, in every church, I mean, you know, whether you're meeting in a different area, um, you know, you're going to have to, you'll have to establish, and you as consultants know this, I mean, there are certain landmines, certain untouchables, or certain things that have to be worked in or um, finessed over time. So if a a different location needs to happen, that's not going to happen by by saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. It has to be a unified decision. And, and you know, there are going to be people that will buck against it. And, you know, often when, when churches make cultural shifts like things like this, we tell them, you know, it'll probably get worse before it gets better, but hang in there. Okay, so you, you spoke of finesse. That leads us to the next subject, and that's music. Are you rating style or quality? Both. We're rating, we're rating both um, style and quality. So when, when mystery guests come or, or our visitors come, they're looking at, you know, the style of music, you know, did they like it, did they not like it, they, you know, did the, uh, the effectiveness of, of the musicianship, the vocalist, acoustically, could they hear it, um, you know, was the congregation engaged, did it feel like worship, so they're looking at things like that. Um, you know, Chuck Swindoll, 
uh, he he says something that 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 has resonated with me over the years. He said, you know, there's no such thing as seekers, only watchers. So mm. people that come to church observe you long before they start seeking you, your church, and your God. And so what I think is such a tragedy is when I hear from people that during worship, you know, whether it be traditional, whether it be blended, whether it be contemporary, when they hear from people that people there, either the musicians or the people um, in the congregation, aren't engaged in worship. They aren't worshiping. They're silent. They're stone-faced. Their hands are at their side. Um, music, musicians look as though they're just performing rather than worshiping. You know, what does that communicate to someone new in your church who doesn't know God? I mean, if you're singing How Great Is Our God in an expressionless fashion to people who don't really believe that, you know, they're certainly not going to believe it by looking at your face or looking at you um, or looking at the musicians on stage. So they look at things like that, like engagement and, uh, wow. you know, is it meaningful? Are they connecting with it? Well, and I think you you just identified a cultural shift that a lot of churches missed, that it wasn't long ago that the the, the the culture would have been a presentation type worship and we were fine with that and we enjoyed it. Now you've hit the word that I have repeated over and over and over again. It's engagement. Uh, this generation wants to be connected and engaged in worship, not just sung to. Is right. that what you're finding? Yes, Absolutely. Uh, this really speaks to an experience I had. You know, we came out of a church. I came out of a church from college into seminary that we had gone through a, a little bit of the transition into praise and worship. It was new at the time. This is years ago. It's over 20-something years ago. And and it was like a big deal. Like the only way you can really have engaged worship is through contemporary praise and worship. And I really believed that. Then I got to seminary, and all we sang at the time was hymns. Now, Southeastern does contemporary worship, I'm sure, in chapel. But at the time, it was just hymns. But, man, people were shouting during the hymns, and they were mm. singing with all their gusto. And I saw people really engaged in worship, and the only thing they were singing was hymns. And I think that at that point in my life, I began to realize that the engagement level actually trumps style. If you have a church that's engaging the Lord in worship and they they're singing it from their heart, they're 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 really worshiping the Lord no matter what style it is. That connects. That passion communicates. It's contagious. And a lot of times we're hung up on style. But Melanie, just like you said, if you're singing "How Great Is Our God" or you know uh, any of the the latest worship songs, but you're doing it in a drab way, or it's the music team forcing it on the congregation, and they're not ready for that style yet. That's going to communicate something. It really does. It really does. And, you know, I mean, as important as quality is, I mean, you know, again, style is, is, a, is a factor. People look at that when, when they visit, visit the church. Do they like it? Do they enjoy it? You know, do they feel like they're worshiping? But what, I, what we've learned from our mystery guests, I mean, over the years, is that, you know, even if it's traditional music, and it may not be the style that they care for, if it's done excellent and it's done where people are really worshiping, you know that to them that that to them is more meaningful than whether they did contemporary music and it's a performance and nobody was engaged or as you said ready for it in the congregation so it's more meaningful not just style but really what's what what, what matters really is quality and engagement mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. good that's good i think that i think that's do you have uh, if a church has multiple services, or if, if a church has like a traditional service and then later on a contemporary service, does your mystery guest attend both to get uh, an understanding of what uh, 
switch service may be more engaging? No, actually what we do is, is usually when we work with a church, we send about 12 different people to the church as first-time visitors. And if there's two services or multiple services, we divide that out. So we try to send, if there's a, an early morning, maybe um, contemporary or traditional service and, and a late morning, uh, so if there's a traditional service in the early morning and a late, in a late contemporary service, we'll send six to one and six to another, and then glean common threads from what we've learned by each. And we look at their ages, who we send where, you know, male, female, that sort of thing. Wow. Mm, that sounds good. good. So people might even think it's a pulpit committee showing up. That's, that sounds pretty good, though. I want to mm-hmm. move into the one thing that, that um, is a, one of the greatest challenges for me, and I'm not sure I've ever seen it done well, and that is the in-service greeting. Uh, <laughs> During the service, uh, how you handle greeting and making uh, guests welcome, recognizing or not recognizing. What are you learning about that? Well, we've learned lots of do's and lots of don'ts from our mystery guests over the years. Um, you know, do's would be to be genuine, um, to be brief. Uh, you know, when, it, when, a, when a church has an in-service greeting time and it goes on three to five to ten minutes, you know, you can only greet so many people and really know what you want to want to talk to them about if you're new to new to the church. And if you're in a church that that uses that time to really visit with one another and not somebody new, that's a long time. Even if it's three minutes, it's a long time to somebody who gets trapped in in a pew between a family on either side visiting with the families on either side of them. So, being brief is is important. Being genuine, uh, being sincere in that time. And in addition to having people um, greet one another, if that's what a church decides to do, I think it's very important to greet visitors and welcome them, you know, from the pulpit. So whether that's a worship assistant doing it, and honestly, we really like um, when we see worship assistants doing it, different worship assistants, so not always the pastor, because what we find is that the same person does that week after week after week, it just becomes kind of monotonous for them, and and um, routine, and visitors pick up on that. So if it doesn't seem sincere, um, um, you know, if it's not, if it doesn't seem sincere, they'll comment on that and share about that. So I think being brief, being sincere, um, are, are are definitely you know dues in, dues in the church. Don'ts would be, and we've we've got lots of stories, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes. don'ts would be don't ask a visitor to stand up and raise their hand and introduce themselves. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, don't call visitors so out. Good. They don't like it. It's so uncomfortable, good. and it's awkward. I'm still going to churches where, I, when I'm I'm a guest speaker all over, and and it, it is, if you're a guest, stand up. Or I hate this one mm-hmm. worse. Everyone stand yeah. up, but the guest. Oh. And so I yeah. see that all over, and my wife and I, she'll say, what do we do? And I said, just stand up. I'm not sitting here while people lord over me during this time. <laughs> it, 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 I could not feel more awkward sitting there. Yeah. So though, n- well, there's no way to call a guest out that's appropriate, correct? Yeah, I, I, I no, not not in the research that we've seen. I mean, you get you get people who have experienced that before and don't mind it. But the vast majority do. It's just, um, it, it's just awkward and, and it's uncomfortable. I mean, you know, one of the one of the most awkward things I'd seen done at a church is they, as part of their one of the reasons for identifying visitors is so that that will trigger them to do the things that they want to do next, like give them a gift, get them to sign the visitor book, um, you know, things like that. And, and we actually saw a church when a visitor would stand up, an usher would walk over and take a picture of them. 
so no. that they could, yeah, take them say thank you know, and everybody would walk over and greet them and welcome them. And then after the service, um, the visitor was instructed to come to their welcome center, and they would already have the picture printed out in a picture frame for them to take home. Yes. And the visitor was like, "Why?" Yeah, right. <laughs> Why is, do I I'm sure that kind of uh, that kind of inf- infects the community awareness. Yeah, I know where Chapel Church is. It's the one that takes mug shots of yeah, visitors right. right down the street. Well, it's like Six Flags when I'm going down the yeah. uh, the the, the uh, Splash Mountain or whatever, yes. and they grab your picture right at the most yeah. awkward moment. Yeah, and most people don't buy those. They do There's not a reason buy for those. That. No, but you know, a quick observation: this is a great this is a great opportunity. That part of the service is a great opportunity for the pastor to communicate into the culture what we want communicated when the pastor or, like you said, other staff member or part of the ministerial leadership stands up. The way they greet visitors, for instance, you know, we're so glad you're here today, and uh, we want you to know we we love visitors. We love uh, to meet new folks or however they word it to kind of – that kind of communicates when the pastor speaks on behalf of the congregation to the visitor in some way. I'm just saying that seems to be that it it is or would be a good opportunity to passively teach the church about what our mentality is toward visitors. Is that, is that could you speak to that? Yeah, that's a great opportunity to 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 um, imprint that message on on the congregation, on the body, letting them know, hey, you're not the only people here every Sunday. There's mm-hmm. new people here, mm-hmm. and this is how we feel about new people. It's also an excellent opportunity for instructional things like, you know, we're so glad you're here. And, you know, if this is your first time visiting with us or you've been coming and you really haven't connected with anybody, we want to connect with you. You know, we have several opportunities. There's a welcome center or if you visit our website, you can learn more about how to do that. You know, or we have a gift for you or we just want to meet you. Those sorts of things. Okay, I'm going to put myself out there at this point, Melanie, and give you permission to speak freely. Uh, what I do, what I teach churches to do, the interim I'm at, so we don't select guests, point guests out. We have every person register every Sunday morning in the in the worship center. So, and there's some reasons why I do that. I won't explain all these here, but we have connection cards that I, we actually mm-hmm. tell the person at the end of the pew take one and pass it down. Uh, there are more, le- there are easier logistical ways to do that, but there's there's some power with someone handing you a card and you receiving mm-hmm. it, it's almost, um, uh, com- you know, compliance on your part that I will feel if I receive it, I will fill it out. And our guest cards went through the roof when we did that. And then we have mm-hmm. a pastor's guest reception in the main foyer after the service where I say, if you'll come back and meet me, uh, I'll give you a gift. I just want to put a name with the face, chat with you for a couple of minutes and thank you for coming. I have a, this church I'm at runs about 500. We have, two to a half a dozen or more guests every week and and there's more to that the whole staff is back there just chit-chatting giving them candy and you know sodas and all that is that good or am i doing something wrong no i mean i think that's great um i think it's great to have a next step for people to meet people and you're not calling them out so if they choose not to go there they don't have to that's right we Um, don't stop people want to come in and they want to be discreet and just kind of slip in and slip out some people want to come in, and they want to connect immediately, and they want to know more. And, and, and you know, we can't rely solely on, on our marketing materials or our website or, um, you know, brochures to communicate all of those things. 
So a chance for somebody to go to a venue where they can talk with, with leaders of the church or people that attend regularly and just get to know them better is, is excellent. You know, I think the, the one thing that we've seen at times is, is churches will offer that kind of a venue or that space, and then people won't get there right away. So the oh. visitors will come, and the room won't be, you know, there might be somebody wow. in there making coffee, but maybe mm. the pastor is not there or leaders of the church don't show up right away. They get stopped, and they're... And they're, and they're talking with people. So it's just important if you're going to have a venue like that, go be there. And, and, and what that communicates to the body that goes there every Sunday is, where's the pastor? Well, he's there meeting new people. Maybe we should come in and meet new people too. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Okay, we're going to move. I'm, the next two things we'll tackle kind of together. The, these mystery guests write sermon and speaker. Yeah. Yes. You know, you're speaking to three preachers, so be kind. I will be kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. What? I promise t- I will t- be kind. You're, you're asking an unchurched person uh, who's maybe not even <clears throat> you know, heard a lot of sermons in his life or their lives to rate a sermon and a speaker. So tell us, what are they writing? What are they looking for? Well, well first of all, what they're not rating is theology. So any of our mystery guests that work for us, one of the, the instructions, one of the ways that we, we, we share with them is that you may attend a church on assignment for us, um, and they may preach about something that you don't agree with. You know, maybe it's, it's homosexuality, gay marriage, or abortion, and you may have very strong feelings about that. But we're not asking you to write or talk about or share about how you feel about their theology. What we're asking you to do is rate the effectiveness of, you know, the, the, the teaching, you know. Did it resonate with you? Was it relevant? Did it make sense? Did it commu- was it communicated in a way that you could understand? Was it clear? I mean, we go to college, well, you know, colleges, we take classes, we've been instructed, you know, through grade school on up, you know, with teachers giving, you know, teaching different curriculum, different messages, different topics. So people aren't, um, you know, naive to that sort of uh, uh, assessment. You know, they've done that their entire lives, participated in kind of assessing, you know, did they learn something from that? So we're asking, you know, in the message, you know, was the message um, presented in a way that you could understand? Was it clear? You know, was it, was it uh, um, you know, was it relevant? Was it uh, on a topic that, you know, that you could understand? Did it make sense or did they launch into something that you just as somebody new to either faith or someone new to the church had no idea what they were talking about. So really that's what people are measuring when they measure the message or the sermon. And and you're having several uh, mystery visitors you said earlier descend on a church. So you're not getting all this from one visitor, right? You're you're getting multiple That's right. So if, if whatever particular church we're working with they're going to have usually at minimum about 12 separate individuals come over a period of time. So they might hit different sermon series, you know, different times of the year, and they're going to rate the effectiveness of this, you know, by number, but also by, you know, what they write about, um, you know, uh, you know what they learned, what, the, what they taught, what they were taught. Until next time, thank you for listening to Network. You've been listening to Network, a program dedicated to challenging believers to cast the net of the gospel. Network is a production of the Evangelism Ministries of the Georgia Baptist Convention.